So if people just say, well, I have anxiety, when? When specifically? Do you have anxiety when you sleep? Because when you're asleep, I don't know anyone who's had anxiety when they sleep. That people wake up and they might have anxiety, but that could be triggered after the thought. So you don't always have anxiety. That's a generalization. G'day, g'day. Welcome to another episode of Not So Secret Dad's Business. Today, I've got a really awesome guest on, uh, Michael Johnson, the Mojo Master. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I mean, obviously, like, you're, you're pretty big here in Australia with, you know, um, life coaching and, and personal development, all that sort of thing. Um, and you've rubbed sh- shoulders with some some pretty famous people as well. So I appreciate you taking the time out and, and sitting down with me. My pleasure, mate. I appreciate it. So having you on today, I thought um, we could just sort of talk about mental health and how, as dads, we can sort of um, work through that to still be able to support our families and, and that sort of thing. Now, I live with ADHD. I've had depression and anxiety in the past and and I've in the last six months been doing a lot of personal growth myself and 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 working through some of those issues but um I just wanted to see what your take was so like how do we how are we able to use the issue these sort of issues to our advantage rather than getting really bogged down in them and, and entrenched in them Okay, awesome. Um, I mean, I could speak for probably a month straight just on that one topic. Um, But first of all, like, I just want to say, um, you know, I'm not a dad. So um, I mean, I do have I do have children, but I call them staff. Um, (laughs) So I look after them. Um, uh, That's a joke, by the way, if my staff are listening. Um, But, um, you know, I don't I don't specifically have kids. So I can't talk about it from a a parent's point of view. But what I can talk about it is from a a human behavior point of view, a mental performance point of view, um, because that's my area of specialty, I guess. And it all relates. So, you know, we have we have all different types of people come to our events from, um, you know, people who manage four and a half thousand staff. Um, we had the ex-head of Air Asia come to one of our events um, and he did have four and a half thousand staff that he was responsible for. You know, we've had professional athletes. We've had, um, you know, some coaches of some some pretty big teams right through to mums, dads. But really, you know, I'll, I'll talk about people who want to better their lives because I think yep. that's the gap that I work with. You know, I'm not here to save people. What I'm here to do is when someone says, you know what, I'm not living up to my own expectations and I want to push more in life and I want to achieve more and I've got this burning desire to be something better, they're the people I love working with because they're the, they're the driven people. Um, mm-hmm. And they're not expecting everyone else to save them. They're expecting to put in the work and do the grind and make life better. Yep. So um, just... Um, I'll, I'll start with talking um, a little bit about the labels first, because I think that's a place where a lot of people get trapped. Now, one of my quotes that I think a lot of other people have used now is that I've always said labels are there to understand. They're never there to define. So when someone comes to me and says, you know, I've got ADHD, I go fucking great. Awesome. Yeah, cool. That's it. End of conversation. Like, let's not let's not get bogged down in it. Let's just figure out how you how you're going to perform better with that. When someone comes to me and says, you know, I've got depression, I go, cool, that's an awesome label, but it doesn't really mean shit. All that it means is that at the moment, you're trying to navigate through life, you're trying to follow common laws of nature, and the common law of nature, like, as you can see behind me, I study a lot, and I study all different fields. What I'm looking for is what are the laws that help people perform better and to be the best that they can be in the small amount of time that we have here relative to the universe? Um, so, you know, 80 years, uh, Australians at the moment, I think average life expectancy is around 84 in the scheme of things. We don't even have any time here really like we're here and gone. That's it. So how do we make that? How do we make that time worthwhile while we're here now? Um, one of the laws is things in nature that don't grow, uh, don't grow die. So you can look anywhere in nature and that law is 100% accurate. Anything that doesn't grow and, and, um, well, anything that doesn't grow dies. And anything that doesn't adapt goes extinct. Mm-hmm. And yep. it's really that simple, right? So 
in our lives, we can implement that law within our own life. If we're not growing in all areas of our life and we're not adapting in all areas of our life, we're slowly becoming extinct and we're slowly dying without even realizing it. Now, most people work their whole entire lives in order to get to this point called retirement. And retirement's supposed to be this happy fucking celebration. Uh, I hope you don't mind if I swear. No, go um, for it. <laughs> but this celebration of our life and how great we've done. Yet most people work this shitty, monotonous job that they fucking hate. They do it until they're 65 and then they retire and they go, cool, let's have some fun. And then they go, shit, I've got no money. My body's fucked. My back hurts. My legs hurt. I'm not as energetic as what I used to be. I'm tired. I'm lethargic. And it's about last time I did some research and I don't know if this is still accurate, but it's around about the average person that when they retire lasts about two and a half years before they die. And that's because like, what's the point? You've just wasted 65 years of your life. 65 years. That's what you've wasted essentially. Now, I don't know about you, but on one day that I waste, if I'm here and I feel like I'm going around in circles today, I'm not achieving anything. I start getting frustrated. I get frustrated at the end of the day. I go, well, that was a fucking waste. Yep. Imagine doing that for 65 years, which is essentially 365 days times 65. Now, I don't know what that number is. I could probably figure it. I could probably work it out on the calculator, but that's a shitload of days. That's right. right? Yeah. To me, I go, no, no wonder why people are, so, uh, are depressed. Also, anxiety, when you look at anxiety and what it really is, now there's a lot of myths and misconceptions out there. And I've had this debate with psychologists and we get different health professionals come to our events like medical doctors. And when I explain this in detail about how the brain picks up perceptions, they normally come back and they go, fuck, that's a whole new insight into the way that we think about things. So when we have a thought, our brain creates a change in neurochemistry and that change in neurochemistry can signal um, other hormonal responses and, and neuropeptides and so on, which either excite or inhibit cells. And that's what makes us feel the way we do. So essentially the way we feel is an is a chemical response to a thought process. Okay, yep. it's pretty simple. Yep. So if I'm feeling shitty, if we go back up that causal chain or the chain that signals it, there's a thought process that we have, and normally it's based on a comparison, which then makes us feel shit. So mm-hmm. if I think that I should be doing so much better in life and I should have more money and I should have better health, in order to think like that, I've got to compare it to something else. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah. Because if I just, if, if there's no one else on the planet, so if we wipe out all 7 billion people and I wake up today and I get to do whatever the fuck I want, can I have a good day or a bad day or is it just a day? I guess it's just a day, isn't it? I mean, there's... it's just a day. So without a comparative, we have just a day. Yep. So in order to have a shitty day, you've got to be comparing it to a good day. Yep. In order to have fuck all money, you've got to be comparing it to something with money or, or a time when you've had money before. So our brain is trying to create perceptions based on our experiences and what we're comparing something to relative to something else. Yep, yep. So when we're talking about specifically anxiety, the key thing that I've found after, you know, we've had tens of thousands of people come to our events and I've worked with a lot of people with anxiety, a lot of people, um, you know, who have been labeled with depression and all that stuff. The number one thing I've always found with anxiety is it's based on a time comparison. Okay. And what I mean by that is that a person is in a rush to do something or to get somewhere. And it's based on a comparative between where they think they should be and where they really are. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So a great example of this is if you've ever been in, if you ever leave, let's say you're going for, you've got to be at an appointment in an hour. And you know that it's going to take 45 minutes to get there. So you give yourself, you know, you're going to get there about 15 minutes early and that's how you want to be there. Yep. So you hop in your car, you start driving, everything's going great. You're about 15 minutes into the drive and you've still got 30 minutes to go. All of a sudden you get to traffic and you look down the road and your brain starts creating a bit of a, an educated assumption about how long it's going to take and how much time you've got spare. Mm-hmm. And you're looking down the road and you see traffic as far as the eye can see for a kilometer at least. And you're sitting there and at first you're fine because you go, oh, you know, we'll just keep moving through, but maybe I'm starting to get a little bit more anxious, okay? a little bit more stressed out because I'm probably not going to get there on time. But after five minutes, you've moved three or four car lengths and that's it. And so you look again, you go, shit, there's like a thousand cars. I've moved five car lengths. That still means I'm probably about an hour out of getting out of this traffic. And all of a sudden, your heart starts beating faster and you start getting more anxious. That's because you're, you're in a rush to try to get somewhere by a certain period of time in a time frame that you've given yourself. 
And what's happened is it's actually promoted an adrenaline response, which is a flight or fight response. Yep. So it increases heart rate, it increases sweat, um, it pulls um, blood away from the digestive system, moves it to the peripheries, and you're ready to you're ready to either attack or run or chase something. And so that response is a time comparative. Now, a lot of people will say, yeah, but I'm not in a rush to, to get anywhere and I still have an anxiety. And I go, that's bullshit. You're in a rush for something. Let's dig deep. Now, the problem with most people is that when you when I find a lot of people work with other people, whether it be in mental health or coaching or psychology or whatever the field is, humans naturally generalize and we have to generalize because um, you've obviously got kids. How many, um, how, how many kids do you have? I've just got the one. Yeah, one okay. little boy. He's, he's coming up on five. Oh, perfect. So when you're teaching him to cross the road, you hold his hand and you go, we need to look left, we need to look right, we need to look left again, and then let's cross the road, or we need to look right again, then cross the road. Now, you point out and you say, that's a car. Don't walk out in front of cars because you could get hurt. Now, what the child has to do is it starts creating a neurological pathway, which goes, this big square metal thing with wheels on it, as it's driving towards me, is a car. Therefore, I'm going to generalize because if I look at that white Holden Commodore with black rims on it, and I'm very specific about that car and dad's telling me don't step in front of that car. The next time he goes to cross road, he's going to step out in front of a red car. That's maybe let's say, or a red truck. Yep. So he has to generalize and he goes, okay, a car is essentially anything with wheels. Yeah. And then you yep. say, also we need to watch out for trucks and motorbikes. And he goes, okay, cool. Anything really with wheels. It's on this big thing we call the road. I don't step in front of, and that's a generalization and that keeps us safe. Now, a lot of our belief patterns are based on those generalizations. So if I say, you know what, you can't trust, uh, you can't trust men with beards, right? Let's use that as an example. Now that's, that's, that's essentially what racism, sexism, all of those things, they're just generalizations because humans naturally have to generalize in order to understand something. Okay. Now, based on a past experience, I may have had a person with a beard yell at me and I go, shit, people with beards are bad. But next time I see a person with a beard, I start getting anxious and stressed and I go, oh shit, there's something could happen. Mm -hmm. But what it's doing is my brain's trying to keep me safe. So it's a survival mechanism. Yep, yep. Okay, that's that's how our brain's wired. But the problem with that is when you're dealing with mental health problems or when you're dealing with um, any sort of um, human performance or, or psychology or coaching or anything that's trying to help a person out is that it's non-specific. So if people just say, well, I have anxiety, when? When specifically? Do you have anxiety when you sleep? Because when you're asleep, I don't know anyone who's had anxiety when they sleep. That's I normally right, yeah. know that people wake up and they might have anxiety, but that could be triggered after the thought. So you don't always have anxiety. That's a generalization. Mm -hmm. So you need it as a, as, a, uh, as a professional coach and as a professional person who works in this space, I will go, go to a specific moment when that was triggered. And then what we do is we need to get the data, the information that's there in those moments. And I remember working with this woman who had, she was diagnosed with um, social anxiety. And she came to me and she said, actually, she was at one of our events and she came to me and she said, you know, Michael, I've got social anxiety and it's when I'm around people. And I went, okay, well, that's fair enough, but it's a pretty big generalization. That means anytime I see a person or anytime there's a human being anywhere around me that I can visually see or hear, I'm going to have this anxiety response. Now, do yep. you think that's accurate? No, that, that can't make sense. If that was the case, you'd never leave the house. Yep. And even then, if they don't leave the house, then how do you get shopping? Someone's got to come to the house to deliver shopping. Now, yep. if they're in the vicinity, does that trigger the anxiety or not? Like, what, what, what are the parameters? So then what you have to do is you've got to start digging into those parameters. And so I started digging and I said, right, go to, go to a moment where you had social anxiety. She said, I, I have it all the time when I'm around people. And I went, but that, there's no parameters there. Like, are they in a one kilometer radius? Are they in like a three feet radius? Like, is it that they're on the planet, which means you just have anxiety 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because you naturally know that there are humans everywhere. Do you get, do you get social anxiety when you were looking at a person on television? Like how, what, tell me the rules. Yep. So we started digging down and um, normally what I'll do is I'll over-exaggerate things that they say. So they go, actually, fuck, that doesn't make sense. And they start questioning things, which is what we need to do. We need to question things. Now, if we don't question things and use good questions, humans tend to use shitty questions which reinforce the patterns. Yeah. For example, why do I ha always have anxiety? That's not a good question. A good question may be, what, when don't I have anxiety versus when do I have anxiety? What are the commonalities between those two? And let's start figuring it out. 
It could be what specifically has to happen in order to trigger it. Mm -hmm. okay? That could be a better question. So anyway, I'm working with this, um, with this woman and we, we start defining this moment. And she said, I'm with my parents and my parents have dragged me along to this family function and there's all these people around that I don't really know. And all of a sudden I get this anxiety and I'm, my heart's fluttering, I'm sweating, I'm worried about my sweat because I'm worried about everyone else can see it, which that's again, more, more worry. More worry is going to promote more of that anxiety. So I said, what specifically was it that, you know, that was going on in your head in that moment? And she said, well, it was just, I was, I, I didn't want to be around people. And that's when it clicked to me. And I said to her, so what you're telling me is you wanted to get the fuck out of there, right? And she said, 100%, I did not want to be there. Bingo. There was a time frame about, she was in a rush to try and get out of a situation that she didn't want to be in. Well, yeah, and that's that what sense. she was labeled as having social anxiety. So anytime she gets put into a situation where she perceives that she's going to be judged or that she doesn't know people or that they could criticize her, triggers her social anxiety. But when she's around people that she knows, likes, and trusts, no social anxiety. So yep. there's a difference. And so now I'm not dealing with anxiety. I'm actually dealing with the fear of judgment and the fear of criticism and what other people think about her and her concerns about that. Now, she'd been diagnosed and labeled as having social anxiety, which was a little box that she gets put in now and she can get medicated or, or whatever, you know, whatever treatments that she wants because she's in that box. Mm -hmm. To me, that box means nothing. It just means it's a label that's there to understand. Yep. Yep. That makes when sense. Parent, Total sense. Yeah. When a parent comes to my events and they say, my kid's got autism, I go, that's fantastic. And I almost watch them backflip off of the chair and I go, well, that's great. Now we've got to figure out what are their gifts? Because we're all gifted. It's just, where are we gifted? My gifts aren't the same as everybody else. In fact, I'm shit at most things in life. It's just the, the faster you admit that you're shit at most things, the faster you can realize that you're good at something and that you're great at something else. And then it comes down to how do we prioritize our life to do something great? And then when you do that, the rest of the shit takes care of itself in most mm. cases. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, one so, thing I found um, personally myself and, and, maybe you can give me insight and why we do this, but I found with anxiety and depression, especially you, you get stuck in this, this loop and it tends to amplify those feelings. So with, with depression, for example, I might wake up and just, I don't know, not feel great, but because I'm not feeling great, I'm constantly telling myself in my head that I'm depressed. It, and you go on this loop, it, it, it just magnifies itself. And then the anxiety kicks in. You start overthinking and that just magnifies as well. Why as, as humans, do we have that habit of just looping that over and, and essentially getting in, entrenched in it? Yeah. Um, it's a really good question. It depends on the person and it depends on um, their, their mental evolution. Every one of us starts at a different place and I'm not going to get into the theories behind why, where, why that happens or, or whatever, but I'll give you a really quick example. So neuroscience knows that around about early twenties, women start to develop their, their prefrontal cortex or the part of the brain that allows them to logically think effectively. Yep. And for men, it's late twenties, maybe early thirties. So I don't know about you, but I didn't really start getting my shit together properly until I hit around 30. Now, some, yeah. some of my friends that was younger and some of my friends, they're still like, I'm 37 and they're still out of control. Okay. But I started questioning things and I started realizing that for everything that I do, there are disadvantages and for every disadvantages, there are also benefits and it just depends how I want to navigate life. So from a young age, the, when we're really young, the external world to us is more real than the internal world. And we're driven more through emotions and logic, right? So yep. kids are very emotional. They're very receptive to emotions. And now emotions help the brain evolve quite quickly as well, because, you know, when we touch something that's hot, we don't logically think about it. We go, shit, that's hot. And that hurts. Therefore, I'm not going to touch it again. So it's beneficial for our personal evolution from a young age. So that part of the brain, which is known as the limbic system or the emotional system gets developed really, really quickly. Sometimes you'll hear it uh, or, or it evolves at a younger age. Um, so that's, you might hear that called the monkey brain or the animal brain. Or, and then mm -hmm. there's also part of the crocodile brain as well. But it's not until probably our 20s to 30s in between that sort of 20 to 30 bracket that you and I and most other of these listeners uh, that are on here 
we'll be starting to develop our logic a little bit more to go, hang on, why is it that when I do this, do, do I end up back in, in a shit situation? And maybe if I stop doing that, life might be better. So I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I used to get pissed like five nights a week and I used to party and run amok. And I'd wake up in the morning, I'd go, you know what, I'm hungover, I'm never going to drink again. And then five o'clock or six o'clock at night, my mates rock up and they go, come on, we're going out tonight. It's a Thursday night. And I go, yeah, fuck it, let's go again. Now I think about those consequences. I go, shit, I'm going to feel crap for a whole week. Like it's going to take me a week to get my energy back to the intensity that I normally operate at. And it might affect my brain function for maybe a week to two weeks to get it back really effectively. I don't know if it's worth it. Yeah. So that's what happens when that part of the brain starts to develop a little bit more. You know, if I spend all this money today, that means I'm going to be broke for the rest of the month and I'm not going to really enjoy that. So maybe I don't want to buy that shit just erratically. So we start to logically develop that part of the brain. But the other part of the brain, the emotional part of the brain has been so well developed in between the ages of, let's say, 20, uh, zero to 25, maybe 30. And so now what happens, we're at this tug of war. There's a logical part of the brain that goes, I know that there's something going on here and your emotions are going, you know what? You feel like shit. Go and eat that pizza. Go and drink. Go and take some drugs. Go and party because you know it's going to make you feel better right now. And your logical part of the brain's gone. Yeah. Don't do it, dude. Like you're going to feel like shit tomorrow. You know. And then now you've got this inner tug of war, and you go, "Fuck! I don't know what to do." That's that's part of our experience. Now, there's there's a few problems, and I think this is a society problem. It's not an individual problem. It's a society problem. There's this whole idea of this thing called positive thinking, which I do not agree with. And, I'm, and I completely disagree with it. And it's, it's very simple to debunk the idea of positive thinking. But if you think that you're supposed to be happy and positive and live this great life all the time, then you compare now that inner fight to I should be happy all the time. And you're yeah. going, but I'm not fucking happy because I want to go out and party with the boys and I feel guilty if I don't go, but also I feel like I'm not meeting my own expectations because I know that I'm better than going out and getting pissed tonight and I'm gonna, it's gonna, I'm gonna suffer for a week. But at the same time, if I don't, if I don't stick to what I know I'm capable of, I'm gonna feel guilty. So therefore I'm fucked. I feel guilty if I go out and then I feel guilty if I don't go out. I'm screwed. What do I do? And I'm supposed to be positive all the time. I'm supposed to be happy all the time. Everyone tells me about this happiness fucking thing that I'm supposed to be doing, but I don't feel like that. Therefore there must be something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah how do you navigate that situation yeah well that's right i mean i've i've worked through that one myself and um what i what i found was more beneficial rather than trying to think positive and, and be happy so to speak because like you said you've got that comparison you think you're supposed to be happy but you're not so you feel even shittier about yourself um and i've found that a lot of the time well i speak from my own experience anyway that like depression and anxiety for a lot of the time is in environmental. It's not always clinical. And, and so just by changing your environment, like you said, instead of going out and getting pissed five nights a week, changing your habits, changing your environment, then improves your mood. And it, like you said, you do end up feeling more positive and happier about life. You yeah. sort of break that loop and you don't keep going over and over and over again. Well, what I found, and this is, this is something that I had happened. So I, I'd spent about a hundred grand on personal development and I'd traveled all around the country and I'd gone to some of the biggest speakers on the planet and, and all of their courses and their events. And I found I would get all jacked up and pumped up and set these huge goals. Like I wanted to be a millionaire and I wanted to own a super yacht and have all my friends on it and party. And I wanted to be able to travel the world and teach and speak and inspire people and all and then two or three weeks later, like I'm under the pump, finances are getting stressed out. And then I'm sitting there going, what is wrong with me? Like there must be, I must be fucking up bad because now I feel bad. I'm supposed to be energetic and fist pumping there all the time and like all revved up and have crazy amounts of energy, but I'm not. And then I would get stuck in the loop that you were talking about, about going through those cycles where you think something it triggers the emotions, the emotions then make you feel a certain way, which then, you know, you take actions based on those emotions and normally those emotions were making me be inactive. Then I would do things like, you know what, maybe I just need to chill out tonight and sit on the couch and watch TV and eat pizza. Then I would do that and go, you know what, fuck it, I'm as eat chocolate as well and, and get that out of the way. So I would smash a pizza, eat some chocolate, you know, drink some Coca-Cola. And then, you know, I'm sitting on the couch and my brain's gone, you piece of shit. You've given up on your goals. You've given up on your dreams. You should be working. Go get back in your office. And I'm going, but I feel tired and I feel, and my brain's just gone flat stick and I couldn't yep. get it switch off. Yep. 
and I, most people know what I'm talking about. What I realized though, after I had a bit of a breakdown, I just remember I felt really shit for a couple of days and I'd studied so much. And this was probably about eight or nine years ago. I went to a cafe and I started mapping out all these tools that I had. And what I realized, um, it took me a couple of days to map all this stuff out, was that until you have a life map, you don't actually know where you're going. And that's the problem. Now, if I, if I say to people, would you drive, if I gave you a location in the middle of Australia and just said, get in your car and start driving in that direction, would you do it? No, no, of course not. You have no idea where you're Pretty going. fucking stupid, right? Especially if you don't have water and things like that, because you're probably going to die and you're going to, you're definitely going to run out of fuel. You're going to get lost. You're going to get stuck. It's going to become extremely frustrating and you're definitely, there's going to be some pain involved. Yep. Um, because you're not prepared. That's how most people live life. Like when I ask people, where are you going in life? Like, what's your mission? What's your purpose in life? And what are your top five values? And when I say values, I'm not talking about kindness and happiness and all that bullshit, because that isn't values. Everyone has those ideas of kindness and happiness and all that stuff. You're a parent and you tell off your child, in your eyes, you're being kind to your child because you're teaching them. But to your child, you're being unkind because you're telling them off. So yep. who, who judges your kindness? And it comes down to your phys these physical, tangible things that we call values. And it's where are you economically the most valuable in society? So for me, my highest value is teaching and learning, which is where I make the most money. Because it's the thing that I love and I'm prepared to do 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the rest of my life. That's the thing that I love. That's my dedication. Then you have a life purpose. That purpose is the reminder every moment of every day of why you're here. Now, mine is to help people perform better in life. And if I do that, I feel awesome. So I can do that with my team. I can do that with my friends. I can do it with my family. You know, tomorrow um, I've got a, I, I love cars and I'm fortunate enough now to have a business that's financially successful enough where I have supercars. I'm taking that, my, some of my cars down with a mate to inspire other people. So even that day, I can still look and go, am I helping people perform better and be inspired just by owning those cars? And the answer is yes. I know there's going to be lots of young kids there that want to sit in them and have photos and all that. And I love that because that's the reason why I have them. It's a reminder for me for my own greatness, but it also reminds other people that they can do it too. And that's what I love. So all my decision-making skill, all my decision-making in life comes down to my purpose. If I do this, is this helping me to empower myself and others to perform better in life? And if the answer is yes, I do it. If the answer is no, it's off the table. It's that simple. Then there's this mission. And the mission is the thing that we're dedicated our whole life to. Without those three things, you cannot set goals effectively. And that's where you'll meet people who are extremely wealthy. They're doing great in life. They've got great health, a great family, and they commit suicide. And people go, why? Well, because they're goal-driven. When you're goal-driven, you can work extremely hard and achieve a lot and still feel fucking miserable. Because yep. in order to achieve a goal, you've got to grind and you've got to work hard to get that goal. So if you want to lose weight, you might be losing weight for 12 weeks. You get to a point and you go, yes, I've done it. I've lost the weight. I feel great about myself. Now I'm going to celebrate. And normally you're going to celebrate with self-destructive behaviors food, yeah. spending money, partying, running amok. And then six weeks later, now you're back in a vicious cycle and you go, shit, I gained, regained it again. Now I'm a piece of shit. So without a long-term mission, you don't really have a long-term reason to achieve those things. And so mm -hmm. you go through vicious cycles. Now, most people don't even set goals, so that's a problem. But those who set goals that don't have a mission, purpose, and are clear with their values, they're essentially setting themselves up for that really hard grind and then self-sabotage and self-destructive behaviors then really hard grind and self-sabotage and self-destructive behaviors. So once you build that map, you can set effective goals. Those goals are stop-off points. They're like, if I'm driving from Adelaide to Melbourne and if I'm correct, you're in Canberra, is that correct? Uh, I'm, in, I'm in Sydney, yeah. Oh, you're in Sydney. So if I'm driving from Adelaide to Sydney with all the boys and I'm having a road trip, the fun doesn't happen when we stop off at a roadhouse. The fun happens the whole way through the journey. And yep. that can only happen if you've got a clear mission. Okay, yeah. I want to have every day as a party. I want it every day as a as I get to wake up and I get mm. to do what I love. And that can only happen when you're clear with your mission, your purpose, and your values. And the goals are just a roadhouse. They're just you get there and you go, cool, we're here, we're gonna stop, we're gonna refill with fuel, you know, we're gonna grab some food and then let's go again. It those those goals actually mean nothing, not a fucking thing. They shouldn't even have emotional attachment to them. It's just saying you're on the right track. That's it. If you do it that way, your life is a celebration, not the goal. And most, most driven people celebrate goals, but are destructive. And then the majority of other people don't even have goals. So they celebrate on weekends. That's where they get pissed and destroy their health and destroy their money and 
everything like that. And then they go, oh, fuck, I've got to go back to work. It's Monday, Wednesday, hunt day. And then Friday, they're back on the emotional, like, woo, the weekend's here again. Yeah. Can't wait. You know, next public holiday is coming. And that's that's their life, is this volatile, like, Monday's shit, Wednesday's hump day, Friday's fantastic. Weekends, I had so much fun. Sunday night, I've got to go back to this shit again. That's not a life. So no. what the point that I'm trying to make is that when, if you've got any emotional um any emotional issues going on, like let's say it's depression or anxiety or whatever, the first point of call should always be to get clear with what you're trying to achieve in life. Because if you have a greater reason, you've got a greater reason not to have those things. Now that doesn't mean you won't get times of being depressed because everybody does. I've worked with tens of thousands of people and I can tell you right now, every person gets depressed. Every person gets angry. Every person gets sad. Every person wants to feel like other people are kind to them. Every person wants to feel happy. They're our emotions and those emotions are just feedback mechanisms for when we're on track or off track. And any any elation, any elated emotion that we have, so anytime we have a high, get ready for the low. It's coming. Because our emotions, just like drugs, because essentially if we use, let's say we use something like cocaine or heroin or whatever, mm-hmm. when we use a drug, we're essentially artificially stimulating the emotions that make us feel a certain way. Yep, yep. We have those exact same emotions without drugs. So you don't need cocaine to feel good and you don't need heroin to feel good. You don't need weed to feel chill. You can, you can have those same feelings. It's just that they're artificially being stimulated. The same as when people say, you know, I just get home from work and I have a beer and it helps me to relax. If you have a look at the, the biochemistry of it, it actually doesn't. What it does is it creates stress for your body, but it chills out your brain. So your yeah. brain relaxes, but it creates more stress in your body. Now your body has to recover more from the stress that you put it through which now means that it's going to wind up your brain more. And tomorrow when you wake up, you're going to feel more stress, which means you need more alcohol again tomorrow night in order to feel relaxed. So you don't need any of those artificial stimulants. Now I'm not saying they're good or bad. Like I don't, to be honest, I don't give a fuck what people do in life. Don't care. What I care about, I'm navigating my own life and I want to be the best that I can be in life. And I hope that I inspire other people to do that. And if I can do that and give them the tools, then they're going to live a better life, but it's up to the individual whether they want that or not. I can't force that on them. And a lot of people in our society force it on other people, but that's not what I'm here to do. Yep. Um, so when you get clear and you've got a greater reason, when you wake up in the morning, you go, I get to do what I love today. Same as me this morning. I wake up, I know I'm doing a podcast. I go, cool, I get to teach again today. I hopefully can educate one person. If I can just get through to one person that they can change one little thing in their life, I've done my job today. And that gives me tingles. Another podcast after this, and I'm going to work for the rest of the weekend. Apart from tomorrow, I've got this supercar thing on. But other than that, I work most weekends and people go, why do you work so much? Because why wouldn't I want to work? It's the thing that I love to do. It's like saying to a professional athlete, why do you, why do you play sports so much? Say so fucking love it. It's what they dedicate yeah, their life right. to. The problem with athletes though, is that they dedicate their life to a sport until they retire. And then when they retire, that's when they go downhill because they lost the meaning. And some people make it out the other side and they create a new meaning and a new something else for their life, but others don't. And that's when they get into depressive cycles and all of that. So my first suggestion is if you want to deal with any emotional, any emotional stuff that's going on, get clear first. And I think that's where the mental health industry fails so bad because they're trying to deal with the depression. They're trying to deal with the anxiety, but that's a byproduct of stuff that you're doing within your life. That's not helping you to be where you want to be. Yep. If that makes sense. That makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I've always just found like, if you give a person a reason to have an awesome life, they'll have an awesome life. But if I just sit there and I go, you shouldn't feel angry and you shouldn't feel depressed and you shouldn't feel sad and you shouldn't feel down and look, you've got a great life. That doesn't mean shit to a person. Like you've had people probably tell you that before and it doesn't change the way you fucking feel. Yeah, that's right. I mean, even even when I was in, in some of the uh, deepest parts of my depression, you know, I knew that I had no reason to be depressed because like, you know, I have a, house, I have a, a roof over my head. I've got food in my belly. I've got a loving family, you know. And if anything, I'm I'm probably more well off than a lot of other people out there. So there's really no need for me to be depressed that I could perceive. I had to work out why I was depressed. What was it that was keeping me in this loop? What you know? And I've been listening to uh, a podcast lately by a psychotherapist. Um, I don't know if you know her, but her name is um, Esther Perel. Yeah, and um, so it's, that's been really interesting to listen to because she was saying that um, with the depression and that sort of thing, you find what that trigger is and, and a ritual usually helps. So I mm-hmm. found, 
you know, just my ritual was having to say, cut off the toxic people in my life and just, just get rid of it. And by completely, you know, pressing that block button, that was my, my ritual. And from there, I was able to start growing. And that's what mm. I, so that's what I found was, yeah, the depression was a byproduct of, 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 of something else. 100%. It always is. I mean, all of our emotions are a byproduct of something. You can't feel happy unless there's a byproduct there of something that happens. And if we look at it, there's always an action and there's always an intention. And if the actions and the intentions don't meet, there's normally a gap. Also, if our thoughts and our, like, you can't have an emotion without having a thought. And this is heavily debated in the psychology field. Because if you go to, if you look at biology, they say, well, it's the chemistry that makes a person feel the way that they feel. Now, I agree with that. But then you've got to make an assumption that there's a biological factor that then is driving the way you feel, which means now you're out of control. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that, knowing that you're out of control? Does it make you feel more empowered or more disempowered? No, that's right. It, it just sort of takes everything out of you, doesn't it? It does. So now you might as well just like give up because what's the fucking point? You can't control it. It's, it's something else is controlling you that you can't control. So I, I looked into that biology and I went, well, hang on. What drives the biology? And if you, if you study um, things like epigenetics, the chemicals that we get sent change the cellular structure. But then where do they, how do those chemicals change? Now, if I, for instance, I'm not sure what animals you're afraid of, but if you pick an animal that if I threw in the room right now, you'd be scared shitless of. For me, it'd probably be a nice big snake or something like that. Yep. Um, like a nice big brown snake or something. You threw that in the room, I'm probably going to jump out the fucking window. Yep. I can tell you the second I see that snake, now you, it could be a python. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of snakes. Like I'm not, it's not that I, I just, it, they're just not my thing. Um, now it could be an alligator. It could be anything, but you put something in the room. I don't, I mean, I don't even know if you've walked through a spider web at nighttime, but that's enough to freak most people that's out. That's the worst. It gives me the heebie-jeebies just thinking about it. So if we just think about that there, you walk through a spider web at nighttime in the dark and instantly, once you feel that spider web touch your face, your brain has to go, what is this? And it triggers a perception immediately. That perception then changes the chemistry within your body immediately to say fight or flight. Yep. Because there's only really two responses at a chemical level. If I just, if I break it down quickly, you've got flight, fight or freeze. So we're going to run, we're going to beat the shit out of it or fight it, or we're just going to stand still. Mm -hmm. Because things in nature that move are easy for other animals to see. So if we stand still and freeze, sometimes you can't, you don't see it. Just like if, when you lose your keys and they're right in front of you, it's because it's not moving. If your keys moved, you'd see them. Yeah. So we flight, fight or freeze, which is known as the sympathetic response. And then we've got rest and repair. And rest and repair is the, you know, what we normally go through at nighttime and or, or when, we're, when we're resting or really when we're digesting food and eating and so on. So if we just take the sympathetic and the parasympathetic response at a cellular level, it's got to be those, those, uh, those are normally stimulated or our, our, I'm just trying to make the, the most simple way I can explain this for the for everybody is that we have to have a thought first. And we have to go, what does this mean? So when we walk through the spider web, that spider web, if there's if we've never ever seen a spider web or had it happen before, you probably just go, what's that? And you just wipe it off. Yep. But when you know that that you're walking through something with a spider in it and you're not sure what type of spider it is because it's nighttime, you don't know whether it's a huntsman, you don't know whether it's something big, whether it's something small, whether it's a white tip. In Australia, we're lucky because we have like, doesn't matter what size a spider is, it's probably going to kill you or freak you out anyway. Yeah. Um, so when you walk through it, your brain goes, oh shit, I, I don't know what this is, but I know that it's a spider and I know that it's somewhere. Where is it? And so you start freaking out and doing all this shit because you're yep. just hoping that you kill it or flick it off, right? That's, that's you having an understanding of what that is and it triggering a response with a meaning attached to it. Mm-hmm. Now, every time we feel a certain way, there's some sort of a meaning attached to it and there's some sort of a, a belief attached to it based on the perception that we have. So you can't change chemistry without, unless, unless it's something like if I get punched in the throat or something like that, or I take a massive hit in the throat, you might, um, you might change some of the biology or the biological structure of um, some of the little hormone secreting uh, um, organs in this sort of area. Okay, the same as like if you get kicked in the balls, you, it might, if it's really damaging, it might change the way that your body produces testosterone or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. So 
for the majority of people, 99.999% of people, there's been no direct impact or no damage to the hormone emitting cellular structures. So there's something else that's driving that change. And it's normally our perception. It's the way we think about things. If I threw a snake in the room with someone who loves snakes, they go, oh, that's great. That's fantastic. And they pick it up and they're still calm. So their body still could be in a parasympathetic rest and repair stage. Yep. You throw a snake in the room with me and it might not even be deadly. It might just be a carpet python and or a children's python or whatever they're called. But I'm still going to jump out the window because immediately I go threat, dangerous. I could die. I'm out of here. So same situation, completely different response with two different people with two different perceptions. Yeah. So what's essentially what you're saying is, is, is the psychology is what determines the biology. Is that correct? In, in the majority of cases, yes, but there's always exceptions to the rules. And it also depends on the genetic structure of the person. So a lot of things get thrown to genetics these days. Like for instance, obesity is a genetic thing. Well, it could be from three generations, but keep going back, go back 10 generations and see what's happening because they could be epigenetic changes because we pick up patterns of behavior from our parents. So because my parents are fat, I could have picked up that pattern of behavior and their parents may have been fat, but they may be three generations of behavior. Also what you'll find, and, and this is what I found in human behavior, kids normally do the opposite of their parents or the same as their parents. So they repeat some patterns and then they do the opposite of the others. So you can have like, for instance, one, if you've got a grandparent, let's say a, grand, a grandfather who is extremely aggressive and extremely abusive, then you might have your mum who is overkind to everybody. And so she becomes the person who looks after everyone, will never get be aggressive, but at the same time, never sets boundaries, allows people to walk all over her. And so she internalizes anger. Um, so what tends to happen is you've got, you can have one generation that is ex extreme one way. And so the child grows up and says, I never want to be like my, my mother or my father. So yep. then they do the complete opposite. But there's always consequences with that as well because it's not balanced. It's still out of balance. It's just the opposite side. Yep. yep. Does that make sense? Yep. That makes total so sense. You've got the parent as, as the child who grows up. So you're the child and you've watched your mother who is kind to everybody, gets walked over, people treat her like shit. She gets nowhere in life, you know, but she's always that happy, smiley person like, oh, that's okay. I'll take care of it. I'll look after you. I'll do everything. But she's essentially a martyr and she gets trodden on. She's a doormat. Yep. So you grow up and you go, I'll never, ever let fucking people treat me like that. And so you become almost the same as your grandfather who sets boundaries. And if you don't do this, you can fuck right off. And I don't give a shit because that's my boundary. And so you'll find that patterns of behavior tend to skip generations or they get repeated through generations. Yeah. Well, so, um, and that's at extremes when you balance out, when you balance yourself out, you can, I've, I've, um, shown time and time again, you can balance out biology by balancing out your psychology a lot more. Now, something in nature that's balanced creates more stability. And that's why I'm not a huge fan of positive thinking. I can debunk it immediately because anything with a positive charge attracts a negative charge in order to create stability. Mm -hmm. So if we become positive or we become negative, we have to, our brain has to create some way of balancing out those charge perceptions in order to create state stability. Now, people who are over who over negative, let's just use as an example, they're unstable. So those people who say everything's bad, the world's fucked, you can't trust anybody, they're unstable people yeah. mentally. But then you've got other people who are like, oh, everything's great, life's fantastic. Oh, there's never any problems. Oh, it's fantastic, mate. Oh, the week's been amazing. If you meet someone like that, there's part, there's something in you that when you're a bit more stable, you sit there and you go, uh, it sounds a bit of bullshit to me. Like, you know. Maybe we're trying to shine a bit of dog turd there because I reckon there's <laughs> fucking things that are going on that aren't that good in your life, mate. Yeah. You know the people that I'm talking about? Yeah. So they're also unstable. People who are stable tend to be, tend to understand both sides. You can't have one without the other. If I do this, there are consequences, but there are also rewards. That's someone yeah. who's more stable. Um, I do a lot of stuff in business and entrepreneurship. The best entrepreneurs and business owners are pessimistic and optimistic. Mm -hmm. They're optimistic to believe that they can do something better than the way it's currently being done. But they're also pessimistic enough to realize that there's going to be problems. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be stress. There's going to be frustration, but that's all part of the game. And they just yep. play that game and they're stable. So um, coming back to the depression, the, the um, anxiety stuff and, and the mental health stuff, that's why I don't like the idea of positive thinking and being positive and happy all the time because it creates instability. 
And same as you can't, you can't be positive without also perceiving that there are negatives and you can't have negatives without also comparing it to positives. Yeah. So when, when a person is feeling depressed, the question that I ask isn't why are they depressed? Cause I don't really care why they're depressed. Okay. The fact is that they are. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's like asking when, when I get a puncher, why did I get a puncher? I've got a fucking puncher. I just need to change a tire and then I need to go get it fixed. That's it. And that's, that's how you move forward. Okay. Yep. Going back and stressing and trying to retrace the path of how you got a puncher wastes a lot of time and you might not ever find out. So the thing is, let's build the life map for your future. So you've got something to move towards. The second thing is let's create stability in your own mindset. So anytime you ever feel down, just ask yourself, what am I comparing my life to that is making me feel like shit? Yep. That's a way better question and we'll get you to where you need to be faster. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. With that is um, uh, I was watching a video by uh, Kerwin Ray a couple of weeks ago. And he was talking about, you know, to have that stability, you've got to have balance. You know, there's always a 50-50. So essentially, you know, if you're going to be happy, you've got to essentially ignore 50% of your reality. If you're going to be depressed, you have to ignore the other 50% of your reality. And, and without that balance, like you said, there's just no stability. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's spot on. Um... I mean, I've heard Kerwin describe it, but he I'm, I'm not sure that he understands it. I think that he just heard it and thought it was a good idea. Um, yep. And I'm glad he's getting that information out to make people think differently. But then the question really becomes, how do we create more stability and why do we need stability? And yeah. what's the benefit of it? And then what happens when it goes out of balance? Because it's good to say that we should be more stable and we should see the other side. But as humans, we don't. And I'm not going to go into the neuroscience of it or even um, how we create perceptions, but it all, it's all driven from, percep- from perceptions. And it seems if, if you go and you look at physics or even quantum theory, it seems like the only thing that actually evolves in the universe is information. And also part of the theory is that information can't be lost or destroyed. It can only change form. And that, that just means that if that's the case and we're an evolutionary, a part of evolution, whether some people believe in evolution, some people don't, um, it seems to be the case if, you, if you're a bit more scientifically minded. Um, it does seem to be that way, that our goal is to evolve the information that we have. Now, our genetics, the, the information that you pass on to your child is through your genes. Mm-hmm. And your child picks up some of the behaviors that you've got ingrained in the cellular structure. And then they also watching your behavior as well to figure out is what dad and mum are doing, mum doing working or not working and, and how do I yep. do it? So they start using trial and error through life. And we all do that. But what can start to happen is if we understand that you're always oscillating in between the positives and the negatives or the good and the bad, and you're trying to figure out how to evolve your own life, then all that happens is life just becomes about evolution. It doesn't mean anything else. So it, it, essentially just actually breaks apart the whole idea that I need to be happy, the whole idea that I need to be positive, the whole idea that I need to achieve all this shit. The goal is how do I make tomorrow just a little bit better than today? And you know what? I'm still going to fuck a heap of things up. You know, I tell people straight at my events and it is so disempowering for a lot of people with fantasies. They come to my events and I know that I'm, I'm up there with some of the best people on the planet in human behavior as far as the science and the, the, what we teach goes. And some people want me, they want to see me as this guy who the sun shines out my ass and like I spit rainbows out of my fucking eye sockets. (laughs) And they come along and I go, I still feel depressed sometimes. I still get anxious. I still get fucking stressed. I swear too much. I say inappropriate shit because here's the thing. I'm a human. Yeah. And as humans, that's what we do. And some people look at that and they're like, but hang on, how, why, why would I learn from you if, you're telling me you're not a perfect person. The people who tell you that you need to be a perfect person are the people you need to stay the fuck away from because they're the biggest, they're the biggest cause of things like depression. Because yep. a lot of people create this idea that I need to be happy all the time, I need to have my shit together, that I need to be this perfect person, I can't fuck anything up, that I can't, I, I can't be a bad dad. But how can you be a good dad unless you're a bad dad, unless you've got a comparison? Now, you like you're as as a dad, and this is a really great example. Did you ever read the book of being a parent? Never. I've just sort of played it by ear. I'm learning as I go. And are you married? 
Uh, not yet, but we're, we've, we've got the date sorted, I think. So, yeah, we're, we're working that out for next year. Congratulations. Thank um, you. I, have you read the book on, on relationships and how to, how to just live the perfect one with no problems and no stress and frustration? No, I fucked it up once already, so I'm trying for a second <laughs> time. Yep, and it's just trial and error, right? You've got to fuck it up yeah. in order to, to figure it out. So the point that I'm trying to make is that I think from such a young age, we push onto not only our kids, but we've had it pushed onto us from our parents as well, where our parents have these imbalances within their own life and these things that, I guess you could say these wounds or things that they've been damaged by from their parents yep. and the, the things that they have. So they want their kids to have a better life. So then they project that onto their child, which is now you, like my parents did. And then you do it to your kids. And there's no, there's no right way or wrong way. Every parent's just doing the best that they can with the tools that they have, no matter what that is and what that looks like. We can sit there and say, my parents were the worst fucking people because they did this. But at the end of the day, if they had a choice to do it better, I'm assuming they would. Like I've never met someone out of tens of thousands of people who wakes up and says, how do I fuck up my life? And how do I fuck up my kid's life? I've never yeah. met that person ever. They're just doing, they're going, I don't know what to do. And I'm just going to have a crack and do something and see how it works. And it's, I'm either going to pull it off or it doesn't. So because our society has that shit projected on it and it's getting even worse right now, you know, because we're in this cancel culture, it's like, you cannot say anything. Cause if you say anything wrong, someone is going to fucking ream you. Now yep. that is just such a shit idea. Like who, who am I to tell you what a shit person you are? Because like how fucked up must my life be if I'm focused on you? Yeah, that's I'm right. And I mean, with this own. cancel culture as well, it's, it's really interesting because I mean, it, it just comes down to opinions and one person's opinion of you does not define who you are. And so in my mind, it comes down to opinions are just like assholes. Everybody's got one and usually they stink. So that's, that's where I think cancel culture and all that is kind of backwards, you know? It is, but in order in order to, to have a cancel culture, you have to have an idea about what the perfect world would be without even thinking through those scenarios. Exactly. You're still going to have that comparison, something to compare it to. Yep. And so when people come to my events and I talk like, you know, all the shit that I've done when I'm younger and people go, oh, I can't believe you did that. And I'm like, but I didn't know any better. Like, I'm just, I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah. I don't, I don't. I might get off this podcast and at the end of the podcast go shit. Maybe, maybe I swore a little bit too much. Maybe I could do a little bit better and maybe the next podcast will be better. I don't really know, but I'm just trying to navigate my life. If I look back at the 21 year old me or 20 year old me, who was a diesel mechanic about to go to the mines and I resigned from there, you know, I'd, I was drinking all the time. All my mates would gamble on the weekends and go out and party and run amok. When I look at what I've done now, I'm really fucking proud of the person that I am. But am I, if I look back in 20 years, am I going to be more proud of the person that I am or am I going to be less proud or what? I don't know. I'm just trying to do it a little bit better every day. And I think until people start to realize that number one, you've got to stop listening to a whole bunch of other people that expect you to be perfect. Because if I expect you to be perfect, that already means that I am perfect. And if I think that I'm perfect, I'm already fucking lost. So stop listening to those people. And even if it's your parents, like my parents, over the years have said stuff to me which i didn't listen to and i'm glad i didn't because now they're they're proud of me for the person that i am because i didn't listen to them yep you know when, I, when i'm when i just finished my diesel mechanic apprenticeship the day i got signed off was a day i quit i put my toolbox in the car drove to my mum dad's house unloaded it and told my mum that i was quitting to go become a personal trainer now i'd done 18 months of after hours study even after working a 10 hour day having no idea what i wanted to do in life i was completely lost drinking five nights a week to the point of being like pissed um, no cash, no savings, no real direction in life. I was just thinking I was going to go get married, have kids, white picket fence, go on a holiday once a year and stuck being like all the other guys that I was working with who just come to work and fucking complain how shit their life is every day. That yep. was life, right? That's all I saw. Now, I didn't know any better. Now, my mum burst into tears and said, what are you going to do with your life? If you just keep going for 10 years, you'll be set. You'll have houses, you'll have properties, you'll You'll be able to get married and have kids and you'll be set for life. And I looked at her and I said, mom, in 10 years, I'll be dead because this isn't the life that I want. I became a personal trainer, dedicated my life to helping people. And in that time, my last year as a personal trainer, I made $270,000 as a trainer, which was more than most people in the mines. And I'd won national awards and I absolutely loved it. Then this one day I was working at a medical center. I'd been working there for three years. And I realized that most people know what to do in life. They just didn't do it. And it was because of what sat in between their ears. 
And I thought I need to go learn more about this so that I can help people better. Because I think health, yes, it's important, but can you fuck up your health by thinking the wrong way? Yes, you can. The food that you put in your mouth is directly related to the way that you think about that food. So I want to go on work with that part of the, with, with that. And I go to my mum dad's house and I told mum dad, I quit. My mum bursts into tears. What are you going to do with your life? You know, where are you going to end up? You've got it set. You love doing personal training. You're great at it. And I went, but mum, this is where I need to go. Now I've created, you know, a multi-million dollar company. I'm able to travel around the world. I work with the best of the best. I get to, you know, help people on a daily basis. And I freaking love teaching and learning. Yep. My mum goes and tells everyone how great I'm doing. So the point that I'm trying to make is only you know, only you have that thing where you just do something and it lights you up. I don't know what that is. I can help you define it and I can help you find it. I'm probably one of the best in the world at doing that, which is why we run our events. But at the same time, only you know whether you're living up to your own expectations or whether you're leaving shit on the table every day. And you can, you can be influenced by your parents and go, you know, I just want to make mum and dad happy. But is that at the expense of your own happiness or are you becoming miserable in order to please others? Yeah. Only you know. And what I realized is at, in life, there's only three things that happen every moment. You're fulfilled. You're trying to make someone else fulfilled. And if that's the case, anytime you do one without the other, if I do something that's fulfilling, I'm probably going to make someone else miserable. Now, if I try to look after someone else, I'm becoming miserable in order to make someone else seem fulfilled. Yep. Or I can do it in a balanced perspective where people understand me and I understand myself. And now we've got a symbiotic relationship. If someone truly loves you, their goal isn't to tell you what to do. Their goal is to support you in doing what you love because that's what fulfills them. Absolutely. And what I realized over the years, when I have friends of mine who say, you didn't come to my birthday party, you're a fucking asshole. They're the people who don't understand me because I was working. I was doing what I love. Those friends that say, hey, look, if you can rock up, you can rock up. But I also understand if you can't because they, they realize, they realize what I got to do. Yep. They're the people who love me because they understand. So how you set out your life, if you're trying to impress others, you're doing it at the expense of yourself. If you're always doing everything at the expense, if you're doing everything else and at the same time you're upsetting others, it's because those others don't really understand who you are as a person. You want to go and find those people. Or you need to learn how to communicate more effectively with those people around you so that they do understand. That makes total sense. Absolute total sense. Well, Michael, thank you for that because that's that's been really eye-opening. This is one thing I love about this po the, doing the podcast is, is, is I always take something away from every episode. So it's been absolutely awesome talking with you. Now, for, for anybody that, you know, this has really spoken to someone and, and they want to be able to reach out, contact you or, or, or check out your, your seminars or whatever, where, where can they find you? Mate, the best places are on social media. Um, all of our social media threads are Michael Mojo double zero. So if you just type in Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, and then Mojo, M-O-J-O, double zero, it'll come up on all the social media threads. So that's Instagram. I'm on there quite a lot. And, you know, we post quite a lot on there as well, like a lot of free content. Um, we do like our, our morning inspiration every day. Um, there's also a lot of cool shit like my lifestyle as well, going out and running the market and doing crazy stuff as well that I love to do. Because um, even though I'm in personal development, I still like to have fun and I still like to, you know, um, as I mentioned, I love cars and stuff like that. So I'll take them out to the track or, you know, go out and hang out with people or go do fun stuff. Um, also I show you some of the clients that I'm with as well. Like I've just started working with, um, the Australian CrossFit champion as well, um, as his mental performance coach. So you see like behind the scenes of that as well. Um, so they can follow me on there, uh, Facebook, um, our Facebook page is pretty active as well. So jump on there. Um, we normally run like, uh, webinars and stuff like that around wealth creation, money, um, intimate relationships, anything to do with mindset and mental performance, um, or performing better business. Um, yeah, I love all that stuff. So yeah, if, if anyone's got any questions or whatever, please jump on socials as well and just reach out and say hi and, um, you know, say you heard the, the episode and I'm always happy to connect with people um, on those threads. Uh, our website is themojomaster.com.au. So that's the, T-H-E, mojomaster.com.au um, or uh, mojohumanperformanceinstitute.com uh, is also, it will redirect you back to that page. But yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure all those links are down in the description of the show anyway. So, so you'll only be a click away. 
Awesome, mate. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Like, I can only do what I love if there's ears to listen. So thank you very much to you and all your listeners as well. Yeah, no, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Nate. Really appreciate it, mate. Thanks for listening to Not So Secret Dad's Business. If you have a topic you'd like covered or you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at notsosecretdadsbusiness at gmail.com or leave us a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash notsosecretdadsbusiness. If you want to follow us on social media, you can also follow us on Instagram at Not So Secret Dad's Business or on Facebook as well.